As protests over police brutality erupted around the country this year, there have been confrontations. Clashes largely between protesters and police. But recently, that dynamic has changed. It's not just protesters in the streets anymore. There are also extremist groups from the far right and the far left, sometimes armed with guns. And now those groups are clashing too. In the past two weeks, two violent encounters in Kenosha, Wisconsin and Portland, Oregon have claimed the lives of three people. It's the latest in a series of mounting incidents, and experts say it could keep getting worse. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Thursday, September 3rd. Coming up on the show, why extremist groups are on the rise and how the violence might keep ratcheting up. Meta has spent upwards of $50 billion developing the metaverse. But will it pay off? Go inside the company in a new three-part series, From Facebook to Meta, Zuckerberg's Big Bet, in the Tech News Briefing feed from The Wall Street Journal. After three people were shot and killed at protests over the last two weeks, our colleague Dan Frosch had one thought. I'm surprised that it hasn't happened earlier to be honest with you. Dan has been watching for a rise in extremism over the last several months. Everyone was sort of expecting this not to be a good year because it's an election year, the political rhetoric has been ratcheted up, and also extremist violence typically occurs at a higher rate than in non-election years. The other thing that can't be overlooked here is the pandemic, right? The pandemic has caused enormous economic destruction. You have a lot of people out of work, a lot of people who are at home able to surf the internet. It has been an unintentional but important recruiting tool for extremist groups who now have this whole crop of people feeling even more disaffected and paranoid. In April, the sense that this might translate into extremist violence got stronger. In April, after lockdowns had been implemented just about everywhere by that point, you started to see groups appear at state houses and in other places protesting the lockdown, saying the federal government, the state government didn't have the right to do what they were doing and these lockdowns needed to end. There was an incident at the Michigan State House, if you recall, where there was actually groups of protesters who tried to push their way into the Capitol there. They were armed as well. And so extremist experts were watching this and were worried. They felt like this was going to devolve into violence, particularly because the pandemic showed no signs of letting up and this frustration was going to boil over and you had people who were armed out there protesting. But the roots of that concern began well before this summer. For several years, experts have grown more concerned about extremist groups, especially on the far right. In fact, at a July congressional hearing... There is a potential street war brewing. An extremist researcher named J.J. McNabb warned lawmakers that violent clashes were bound to happen. I am concerned that there will be a shootout at one or more of the Black Lives Matter protests. There are too many guns at these events held by too many groups with conflicting goals. 
One reason for the concern about a rise in extremist violence is because these groups are now so difficult to police, which is a change from similar groups a few decades ago. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when you had extremist groups show up in the public space, you'd have the KKK march, you'd have the Aryan Nation march. It was organized in a hierarchical way. You know, they'd get a protest permit, they'd show up, they'd march, there'd be anti-racism protesters yelling at them. But it wasn't a particularly difficult situation for law enforcement to manage. It's completely different now. The extremist groups are incredibly diffuse. You know, there's a fluidity to their membership that is very unpredictable. There's no leaders of these groups. You don't have to sign up to be a member. You don't have to get permission from somebody who's above you on the food chain to commit an act of violence. All you need to do is show up and share some sort of ideology These groups now also largely exist on the internet, where people can be radicalized just by watching videos or joining message boards. They don't need to be in the same space. They just need to share the same ideology. And according to experts, a series of recent events have driven people to more extreme ideology. 9-11, the election of our first black president. And most recently... You had the election of President Trump, who, in these groups' minds, they felt that here was somebody who some of his rhetoric seemed to echo exactly what they were sort of feeling and afraid of. All these sort of catalyzing events serve to help boost these groups. With larger numbers of extremists banding together online, these groups started to emerge from the shadows. Some held pseudo-military trainings. Others used social media to organize public events and rallies. One such rally took place in 2017 in Charlottesville, Virginia. The chaos began this morning at what is believed to be the largest group of white supremacists to come together in over a decade. Charlottesville was really sort of a seminal moment in the pantheon of extremism in this country. The groups were here for the so-called Unite the Right rally. They said they were protesting the removal of a Confederate statue. The rally. You saw all of these groups coming together and the face of these groups had changed. It wasn't the old KKK guys marching around Alabama in robes. It was young, fresh-faced people who looked like they just got out of, you know, work on Wall Street, marching around with torches and chanting all kinds of awful stuff. And racism and white supremacist ideology has always been sort of bubbling beneath the surface in the U.S. And so that in itself wasn't new, but Charlottesville really showed sort of this new face, this rebranding of these groups. Violent clashes have broken out between white nationalists and counter-protests there. So you had these sort of street fights evolving on the edges of the protests in Charlottesville, and then sadly a, a woman was killed. The images just coming in, a car plowing into a crowd of demonstrators protesting against those white nationalists. A 32-year-old woman killed a number of severe injuries, many life-threatening. That deadly clash between extremists and counter-protesters was an early warning sign of what could happen when peaceful protesters and extremists operate in the same space. In April, the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism warned state and local governments about the possibility of increased violence from extremists because of COVID lockdowns. 
But then, the protests over the killing of George Floyd swept the country. And those protests, while largely peaceful and extremely powerful during the day, at times would devolve into conflict with law enforcement and sometimes looting at night. And so that also unnerved extremist experts because they knew that groups on the far right and to a certain extent on the far left would use these protests, these very legitimate protests and largely peaceful protests to foment their own worldview. And we saw people from extremist groups starting to show up at these Black Lives Matter protests under the auspices of defending law enforcement and defending property. And then the anti-fascists showed up, who are largely known as Antifa. Antifa, you know, who have been battling against the federal government and the police for years and years and years. They start showing up at these protests as well and saying, hey, we support Black Lives Matter too, but we're also going to burn this building down. The presence of these different radical ideologies set off a series of violent events throughout the summer. Now, federal prosecutors have filed charges against two men in connection with the May 29th murder of a security officer outside of the Oakland Federal Building. Prosecutors have linked the man arrested for killing a federal officer in Oakland and a Santa Cruz sheriff's deputy to the Boogaloo movement. The Boogaloo Boys, which is very loosely organized. Oftentimes, these guys wear Hawaiian shirts. It's such a amorphous group that within their supporters, they have people who support Black Lives Matter. They have white supremacists. They have far-right guys, the only thing that unites them is that they want to foment civil war because that's the only way to sort of restart society. Wow. And you had a member of the Boogaloo Boys shoot and kill two cops in the Bay Area. You know, when that shooting first happened, it was striking because everyone sort of assumed it clearly must be somebody who's protesting against police brutality who did this, right? But it was Mm. not. It was somebody, it was an extremist who was a member of a group that believed in civil war and saw this as an opportunity to sort of set it off. And then there was a shooting in Albuquerque in June. On top of a monument in Albuquerque, New Mexico, a heated confrontation between protesters wanting to tear down a conquistador statue and an armed militia trying to protect it. And then there was a shooting that occurred between an armed individual who denied any connection with a group that called himself the New Mexico Civil Guard, but it showed up clearly in support of them. And a protester was shot and was not killed. And so you saw this, even at these protests, which were peaceful, you saw these spasms of anger unfolding, where either there would be a street fight unfolding on the fringe, somebody with a car ramming into some people. And it just sort of added to the sense that there was chaos unfolding and that law enforcement couldn't do anything about it, which reinforced views on both sides that... This is their moment. And that moment has now reached new depths. That's after the break. Meta has spent upwards of $50 billion developing the metaverse. But will it pay off for the company, its investors, and for CEO Mark Zuckerberg? Over time, I hope that we are seen as a metaverse company. And I want to anchor our work and our identity on what we are building towards. Meta's trillion-dollar business and how we use the internet could hang in the balance. 
Go inside the company in a new three-part series, From Facebook to Meta, Zuckerberg's Big Bet, in the Tech News Briefing feed from The Wall Street Journal. The chaos of recent protests was what apparently drew Kyle Rittenhouse to Kenosha, Wisconsin. Rittenhouse is the 17-year-old who's been charged with homicide after shooting three protesters last week. His lawyer said that Rittenhouse was, quote, a Minuteman protecting his community when the government would not, referencing a militia from revolutionary times. And a week later in Portland, the chaos continued when some protesters clashed with a far-right pro-Trump group called Patriot Prayer. One Patriot Prayer member was shot and killed. And the main person of interest in the crime was notably different. This is a significant event in that it's the first time in several years that we've seen a fatality where the alleged suspect was affiliated with the far left. Antifa is not overwhelmingly violence perpetrated against other human beings. They may beat somebody up at a protest, right? But it's almost unheard of for them to actually kill somebody where you've seen that much more from the far right. Police have not yet arrested the Antifa-affiliated suspect. But law enforcement has come under scrutiny for how it's handled these recent clashes, in some cases for seemingly being sympathetic to the far-right protesters and for not doing enough to prevent the violence. Law enforcement has been criticized for not being able to sort of separate these groups from each other in the streets, and their response has been, we simply do not have the manpower, number one, to sort of create one protest zone over here and one protest zone over there and just enforce that. And then number two, it's very difficult for them sometimes to figure out who's who because there's not only been a mainstreaming, but because you don't even know who's showing up. So it creates this incredibly chaotic sort of environment. What law enforcement is going to have to try to probably through the same sort of internet undercover infiltration they've been using with ISIS is to try to find some of the individuals who are most prone to violence, ferret them out that way. Another solution that has been put forth by law enforcement in some cases is to ban guns at protests and say you cannot bring a weapon to this protest. Mm -hmm. That's controversial. It could cause more protests, right? But that's one thing that could be done. Any final thoughts that you'd like to leave people with? Uh, That aren't, like, deeply depressing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, deeply depressing is okay if that's the reality. I would say that this is like a, this is a pretty scary time, right? I think what we've seen here is that, you know, number one, these events are really difficult to control, that old crowd control methods that worked with protests in the past clearly are not working now. Number two, the diffuse, amorphous nature of these extremist groups needs to be really understood and unpacked by law enforcement in a way that's not happening now. And calm rhetoric, which is also not happening, I think can also go sort of a long way in maybe at least helping folks who aren't as hardened in their views, getting them to calm down. That's all for today, Thursday, September 3rd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in this episode by Rachel Levy. 
Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.